pray. Amen. You can be seated. We're in a series in Titus, Christianity from the Inside Out. We began this just a couple of weeks ago, and, and this is uh, the, the Pastor Titus that we're talking about. We don't think about that a whole lot. It was Pastor Timothy and Pastor Titus. It was also Pastor Peter. Um, all the apostles were pastors. But the Apostle Paul is writing to Titus, and he's writing this letter, this short little letter. In fact, I don't know how it is in your Bible, but I've got the whole book of Titus right here, just open. Now, part of that is I've got the large print Bible. So it's a bigger Bible, and it'll all fit. But it's a short letter. In fact, if you think of the trouble that it was for for letters to be written and sent at the time, you you would think that Paul would have gone on at length with it. Uh, He did that with Timothy, actually sent two letters to Timothy, who was the other pastor that the Apostle Paul was instructing. But it's a short letter, and the Apostle Paul is addressing some very specific things. And, and we, we began the series by talking really that, that the Apostle Paul is, is helping uh, Titus, and, and I'll probably call him Timothy at some point, just know that I mean Titus. If I say Timothy and mean Timothy, I'll let you know that I meant to say Timothy. How's that? We'll just have a deal. Titus, the Apostle Paul is writing to Titus, and, and really what he's helping Titus to do is to establish uh, these churches in, in Crete. And he tells Titus, we, we saw that last time, to appoint elders in every city. And elders, we, we talked about, the, there, there's three words that we, we kind of use, there, there are more words that we use in this, but um, pastor, elder, um, overseer are, are three commonly used words. Another word for overseer is bishop. Um, I always thought that would be fun. Bishop Larry H. Evans. That sounds too pompous for me, but, um, but those three, pastor, elder, overseer, are all the same guy in Scripture, always, always. In fact, pastor is never really used as a title. Um, the elders are called to shepherd the flock of God, uh, giving oversight. So you have all three of those uh, in, in the same, same passage there in Acts 20, 28. Or is it 28-20? I think it's 28-20. But, but it's the same guy. And, and so Paul tells Tim, Titus tells Titus to appoint elders in every city. And then last week we talked about the qualifications for elders. Um, and, and, there, and there's some pretty stiff qualifications. And, and I, I live uh, with that thought every day, that those are some pretty stiff qualifications, um, lest I be disqualified. But he, he says that because that, that's who an elder is. He gives all these qualifications, and, and they're, they're stiff because of what elders do. Elders give oversight. And in fact, there's another word. Um, the elders who rule well are worthy of double honor. We don't like the word rule. Uh, and and it, makes us, it makes us a little bit nervous. It makes me nervous whenever we talk about everything that, that a, an elder, a pastor does. Because that's a lot. And, and you, you probably sit up here saying, I don't know if I trust that all to one guy. That's one reason for the qualifications. The other thing is that, that scripturally, it looks to me, uh, the way Paul writes to Titus, is that there were multiple elders. And, and in our circles, if you call them elders, people wig out a little bit. If you called them bishop, they'd probably kick you out. But in our circles, I call them pastor guys. 
uh, that, that I think it's healthy for a church to have more than one pastor guy. And so that's something we'll pray about and, and let, Lord, let the Lord lead us that way. I don't want a board of elders because nowhere do you see them called a board. Um, they're a group uh, in churches. Anyways, that's a whole different point. That was, a, that was the toy that comes with a Happy Meal. Do they still do that these days? My kids have been out of Happy Meals for a while. So. In fact, it was a sad day in my house. When my kids found out that food came with Happy Meals, uh, I always got an extra hamburger and french fries. That's what we talked about last week. Today, today we're looking at really just the next passage, and, and I want to pick right back up. This is a trick that we learned in men's Bible study. That way we can just use one book of the Bible for three years. Uh, we're still in Isaiah in the men's Bible study. But I'm going to back up one verse from where we left off last week. Last week, verse 9, we left off with this. And he, that is the elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That's where we're going to pick up today. What he's talking about is false teachers. That's not something we hear a whole lot today, do we? In fact, as I was preparing for the message, I began thinking about how this is going to come off. And, and this is going to come off as a bit harsh. Not from me. I'm just going to read the Bible, um, and, and we'll, we'll walk through it a little bit. But this comes off as a little bit harsh in our society. So I just want to read some scripture to you. We're going to start with Titus, and we'll read through uh, verse 16. Then we're going to hit Deuteronomy, and then uh, we'll go over to... Um, good grief. i got to turn my... Thank you. That's in there, isn't it? I don't have those notes. We'll just keep going. How's that? So Titus, the Apostle Paul's writing to Pastor Titus, and here's what he says. He says, uh, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting, the whole fa- upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Tell us what you really think, Paul. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and to the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Wow. So I get the, I get the idea that the Apostle Paul never left anything unsaid. Do you think that might be the case? Um, I think he probably got a little bit softer after he came to the Lord. Can you imagine him before? The Apostle Paul writes, and, and, and this, this sounds a little bit harsh. It's, it's at the very least really firm. The Apostle Paul, he, uh, there, there are a couple of jabs that he makes here. He says, one of the Cretans, now we, we for us, if you call someone a Cretan already, you know that's a bad thing. Um, but, but this was actually, there were Cretans, um, and they were from Crete, oddly enough. 
Um, yeah. So, so Paul says one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, and then, then he quotes something that, that was probably just said a lot around there. It's just one of those things that, that people say, that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And, and the idea is that they didn't think anything about that. Yeah, you know, those Cretans, you know. That's, that's like uh, you can tell Aggie jokes if you're an Aggie, you know. I probably shouldn't. How, how do you get a one-arm Aggie out of a tree? You wave at him. Just saying. I'm, I'm not an Aggie. I got out of there before they bought my school. Um, no one ever heard of my school before they, anyways. So he probably said a saying that they just, that was just thought about. I mean, they just, yeah, just throw that around. Yeah, 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 you know, that, that, those Cretans. And, and they're talking about themselves that way. He says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And they kind of wear that with a badge of honor, you know. And then Paul, here's the jab. He says, well, that testimony is true. They say it in a joking way, but you know what? To a large extent, it's true. And now he hones in because he's talking about a, about a very specific group of Cretans. He says, therefore, rebuke them sharply. Who? The ones who are teaching things that ought not be taught. The ones who are, who are the false teachers, therefore rebuke them sharply. And so now he brings this phrase home to this group. And it's almost as if Paul is saying, now I don't know about all the Cretans, but this group, that's true. The guys that I'm talking about, that testimony is true. So if they weren't upset with him already, they, they would be soon. The Apostle Paul's pretty harsh in this, and and, 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 and that really is a little bit surprising in the New Testament. We kind of expect it in the Old. So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 13. I'm, I'm going through the, the Bible chronologically, so this is my reading a, a little while ago. And, and I've, I've had a lot of fun with this um, because I, I pushed the little play button on my app, the YouVersion Bible app, and, and it'll read it to me. And I think the Bible is fun that way because it was primarily uh, passed down orally. Um, Early, early on, not everybody had their own, not until the Gutenberg press had their own scripture. A little history thrown in there, I hope I got it right. Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 15. Now, he says prophet, but mind you, these were the teachers that they had of their day. If, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, that was the first test, did it really happen, what he say was going to happen, but here's the second test. And if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or to the dreamer of dreams. For, and I'm going to use the proper name for God, for Yahweh your God is testing you to know whether you love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after Yahweh your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But if that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall, or, or not if, but that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. We thought Paul was harsh. Got real quiet, didn't it? He shall be put to death. I'm not saying this is New Testament, by the way. We're not under law, we're under grace. 
Um, but Paul says, kick him out. Um, because he has taught rebellion against Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which Yahweh, your, your God, commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Now, now that kind of makes sense because a prophet was a guy who was called, right? So what he's saying is, is if there is a prophet, and by the way, Deuteronomy means second law, so this is the, the, uh, the bookend of the law. We, we've got Genesis, Exodus, which gives us the first law, Leviticus, which explains a lot of those, and then the second law is in Deuteronomy. So what he's doing, he's, he's bookending here, and, and we would expect that because they've just come out of slavery in Egypt, they haven't yet gone into the promised land, and, and so God is trying to help them understand, you follow and the reason I use the proper name for God, Yahweh, is because when we say God for us, that's like too generic, isn't it? You know, Allah is God, and there's another God over here, another God. We think that we don't live in a, a society or a culture with multiple gods, but we do. And so Yahweh was making it very specific who it's talking about here. And so you would think that a prophet, of course, you know, because he's the guy, if a prophet is leading people astray, from following Yahweh God, then, then yeah, boy, you should take care of him. But, but let's keep going. He says, verse 6, If your brother, the son of your mother, or your son, or your daughter, or the wife you embrace, or your friend who is, your, who is as your own soul entices you secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which neither you or your fathers have known. Some of the gods of the people who are around you, whether near you or far off from you, from the end, from the one end of the earth to the other. So now it gets real, this is hard, isn't it? He's saying, if your brother or your sister or your, your daughter or your wife or your son says this to you, he says, you shall neither yield to him or listen to him nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him. Verse 9, but you shall kill him. That is harsh. And then I, I won't, I'll, I'll skip ahead to the next one. And then it says, verse 12, if you hear in one of your cities that, that you are about to inherit, is what he's saying. If you hear in one of your cities that you're about to inherit, that there is someone leading people astray, someone leading people, he calls them, that certain worthless fellows, I love that, certain worthless fellows have gone out among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of their city, saying, let us go and serve other gods which you have not known. He says, commit the whole city to destruction. That means nobody lives. Nobody lives. Why would Scripture, why would Paul, and, and why would God through Moses and Deuteronomy, why would, he, why would this be such a big deal? The culture we live in says, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion, right? Hey, let's agree to disagree. You ever heard that before? Yeah, we'll get to that. But don't, don't jump ahead of me yet. Why would it be such a big deal in Scripture for false teaching. Well, he alluded to it in here. Actually, he, he spelled it out pretty well in Deuteronomy. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. 
Let's see the effect of false teaching. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that Yahweh God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What's he saying? He's saying, you know, there's another way to look at this. Well, first of all, he gets her to to doubt what God said. Did God really say that? And here's what she says, and she got it a little bit wrong. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. We don't know if that was her addition or if Adam said, honey, don't even touch it. (laughs) Don't, Don't even get near in any case, what Satan did worked. He just took a little step off of what God said. You see, God told Adam, "Don't you can eat from any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of it, for the day that you'll eat of it, you will die. And so Satan got her to question God's word just a little bit, just, just a tiny little bit. And it worked. Because now she's just one little tiny step off. Now, now, does it make that big a difference whether God said don't eat of it or don't eat of it or touch it or you'll die? I mean, practically speaking, if we learn how to set our boundaries correctly, we're not even going to go near it, right? So we don't have to worry about touching it. But the point is that she got just a little bit off of what God said. And Satan had her. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. What God said isn't true. He lied. Now he's getting her, because she got off a little bit from what God said, now she's off a little bit from who God is, his character and his nature. For, this is still the serpent, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman, looking at the tree, seeing it was good for fruit, took it and she ate and she gave it to Adam who was standing with her. I'm going to slap that guy for not interceding for his wife. That's a whole different message. They both ate and their eyes were opened. And they wrecked their relationship with God. They wrecked their relationship with one another. And even they weren't right with themselves anymore after that. Because when God came in the Garden of Eden and said, Adam, where are you? I wonder if Adam heard, where were you when all this happened? Where are you? They, they hid because they were naked and ashamed. They were ashamed. So why is it important for us to, to keep false teaching out because it makes us stray from what God said and it makes us stray from who God is. And, and I, I, like to, I like to shoot, I hesitate to say this because I'm not good and I don't do it often, but I like to shoot the bow. In, in fact, when we had the, the family camping uh, camp out. We'll do that again this year in July. But uh, Jim brought some some of his little 3D targets, and that was fun. That was fun to go and shoot those. But 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 one thing that you'll learn um, 
the, the reason that the distance you shoot at makes such a big difference is because I can be off a little when I'm 20 yards away. Are those yards that we use? I told you I don't do this enough. I can be off a little bit when I'm 20 yards away, and I can still get pretty close to the target. But at 70 yards, which is my furthest pin, like I need one that far, at 70 yards, if you're off a little, you're not going to hit the animal. Unless it's a big honking elk bull. And see, it's, it's that way with God's word. Somebody just throw in a little twist in a teaching. Just a twist. Wow, you know, it's not quite like that. It's really like this. And, and that seems so harmless for us right now, but the further we go down that, length, that, that line of, of reasoning or thinking, then the further we get from the truth. Let me quickly give you three things that you need to know. One, the Bible is our authority. There is no other. I didn't, didn't get an amen or an oh me or an oh wow. Or, you know that, right? The Bible is our authority. There is no other. Because if, there, if you take anything else as an authority, in addition to the Bible, in addition to Scripture, what you have done is made that authority supersede Scripture in every single case. I can't think of a single one where that doesn't happen. The Bible is the authority. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Your, your translation may, be, may say inspired, but it literally means God-breathed. It's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, just in case somebody throws this out to you someday, well, yeah, I was talking about the Old Testament. You have to know the Apostle Paul who wrote this, Peter, who was a contemporary of the Apostle Paul, in his letter refers to the writings of Paul as Scripture. So already in the first century, the New Testament was seen as Scripture. Okay? So you, just, you need to know that. As somebody gets you a little bit off, it's easy to get way off. Second thing is this, beware of secret or hidden knowledge. This idea that you have to, this may step on a few toes and talk to me later. <laughs> you have to decode the Bible because God hid some things in here for us. And if you're really smart and intelligent, you can find out some of There's the Hebrew word for that is hogwash. <laughs> the Greek word is baloney. I had a, a, a Greek, uh, Greek professor. He was the dean of the School of Theology at the time at Southwestern. When we were getting ready, our, our task was to translate the book of John um, in, from Greek into English. And he said, let me caution you. I've done this long enough to know some of you guys are going to come up with a unique translation of the book of John. And he said, you need to write this down. If it's new, it's probably not true. 
So I would say that to you. If somebody comes or you, you hear a teaching, and we can hear it anywhere, uh, podcast, uh, the only reason I use Google for Bible study is, and you may have this too, you're like, where is that verse? So I Google part of the verse, it'll tell me where it is, and I close Google and then go to my Bible. But if it's new, it's probably not true. If anyone says, listen, man, I've got a whole new way to look at this. You just need to run. Just run. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 says this, we have received the spirit, I'm sorry, let me back up. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. You see, God doesn't hide stuff. In fact, the Spirit teaches us in His Word. God doesn't hide it. You don't have to decode it. It's not a little nugget somewhere hidden in there for the really, really smart people. By the way, that's not new. It's called Gnosticism. Paul dealt with it in the New Testament. Third thing. Never base a doctrine on an obscure passage. In verse 14, Titus chapter 1, he says, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. So, so I, I read, um, well, anyways, uh, four, the four views of, of hell. And in there, one of the perspective uh, was a Catholic perspective, and he said, he said, now, admit, he was talking about purgatory. Now, admittedly, this is him, Admittedly, this is based on an obscure scripture. Um, and, and, then, and so it was in the Apocrypha, you know, which we don't recognize as the canon, the, the scripture. Um, and, and so I even went and looked at that, and man, it was so vague. I don't know how you could get it from there, but you have to understand they have other sources of authority. But you don't base a doctrine or a teaching, significant teaching, on an obscure passage, not. I debated on whether I would say this name or not, but I'm going to because I want you guys to check it out for yourself. Uh, there is a well-known teacher, Chuck Missler, uh, church in California is where that started. I forget the name of the church. Um, and and he, he based this big doctrine. This isn't a little blip. He based a big doctrine on the Nephilim. How many of you know what the Nephilim are? There's a verse in Genesis chapter 6 that mentioned the Nephilim. And, and it, it's, one that, that's one of those that leave you scratching your head. Um, that the sons of God married, I, I forget the exact wording, in other words, they knew, the daughters of men and the Nephilim were the result. And, and, and so that's all it says. Listen, they were big men, they were great tall men, they were mighty men of old, that kind of thing. Then it goes on. Um, there are some other references uh, a little bit later to the descendants of Anak, which they uh, attribute back to this, which I don't know how that could happen because there's this thing called the flood that like wiped all of them out. Anyways, this huge doctrine on this, and, and here's where he goes with this. I don't go there with this. He says that those were fallen angels, the sons of God were fallen angels, demons, who mated with women, and the result were a hybrid. And, and so then there's this big doctrine that comes off of that. Now, a lot of people kind of say, well, 
well, that's what it sounds like. It doesn't to me. But anyways, that's a discussion for a different time. Um, but but uh, this is huge in this guy's theology. Huge, huge, huge. If you don't believe me, then type Google Chuck Missler and the return of the Nephilim. Um, he believes that all this time since the flood, they went and they've been living on Mars. I'm not making this up. This is a well-respected guy. That they've been living on Mars. The face of Mars is another thing you can Google with his name and see it. And that they are going to return, and that'll be the signal of uh, the return of Christ. Now, I got a, off of the trail here. But he got way off of the trail. <laughs> Never ever, ever base a doctrine on an obscure passage. Uh, a guy that was on staff with us, the church that I came from, he was on pastoral staff, was an Old Testament uh, professor at Southwestern. And, and we, we were in a study, and we were going to do Genesis 6, and he skipped over it. He liked, he, said, he read it. But he didn't. And so I caught him after class, and I said, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what was that? He said, what was what? I said, you didn't even get into that at all. What does Nephilim? I mean, he said, well, as near as we can tell, he was also a Hebrew professor, it means they were big people. So don't, don't do that. And don't listen to people who do that. You see, God wants us to understand what he has said plainly to us, and he does it through the Holy Spirit. Don't base a doctrine. Another one is the end of the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. Um, don't go home and play with snakes and drink poison. Don't do that. Um, people have made a doctrine off of that. Don't do that. Um, if God had wanted us to do that, he'd tell us more than once, good grief, have you read the Bible? He says it over and over and over because we're slow. Three things that we should do, and we'll close with this. Some of you are wondering. <laughs> First, where Scripture is clear, we should be firm. When the Bible is clear about something, we can stand on that firmly. Colossians 2, uh, 6 through 8. Therefore, as you have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in, th in thanksgiving. See to it, so if we do that, if we're rooted in it, what it says clearly, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Where Scripture is clear, we need to be firm. Thus saith the Lord. I didn't grow up with the King James, but it just sounds better when you say it that way. God said this. It is clear, clear, clear in a lot of places. All right? But where Scripture is unclear, we shouldn't be dogmatic. There's a two-penny word for you, a nickel word. Dogmatic means, have you ever seen a dog that like could, can grab, they just grab onto something and they won't let go of it? Yeah. Um, no kidding. When I was a kid, I was well in high school. My best friend, his neighbor had a bull, not a bulldog, a pit bull. And that pit bull had chewed down a piece of a railroad tie. A piece of a railroad tie. And he gnawed down a piece in the middle, and that dude would just run around with that, and you didn't dare try to take that away. 
Now, not because it was a mean dog, it's just because he wasn't letting go. I think it was actually a sheep. But where scripture's not clear, we don't need to be dogmatic. That that don't make something out of nothing. If it's not clear, it's okay to say, I don't know. When's Jesus coming back? I don't know. Jesus said only God knows. If somebody says they know, run. <laughs> if it's not clear, we just don't need to be dogmatic. Let's don't make something, let's don't make something the main thing that's not the main thing, okay? Third, in everything we should be loving. I love this passage. By the way, this is going to be our our verse for the 2019 men's retreat. Just saying, just so you know. Already planning. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 and 14. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read what Paul said, when I read what it says in Deuteronomy, that doesn't sound real loving, does it? Paul says, Paul says, rebuke them sharply. <laughs> Make them stop teaching what they ought not be teaching. The, the implication is, and actually he, he says it in, um, I think it's Galatians, warn them once and warn them twice and kick them out if they're causing dissension, which Paul's teaching will do. We confuse a little bit. Let everything you do be done in love. That doesn't mean that you let them do what they shouldn't be doing. Does that make sense to you? Parents, if you love your kids, then you need to discipline them. The Bible says we know that we're his children because he disciplines, he chastens those whom he loves. It is not loving to let someone remain in error. It's just not. The loving thing to do is to correct them. When it can't be corrected, to rebuke them. When it can't be, when, when rebuking doesn't work, then you discipline them. That's loving. It's not loving to let them go otherwise. And then how do we spot a false teacher? I said in closing, but really it's only two things, so we'll be all right. How do you spot a false teacher? Paul says it, last part of 13 and 16. He says, therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in their faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and to the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Two things. One, you will know by their teaching if they're false teachers. This is our authority. It's not hidden. It's not secret. You don't have to decode it. God wants us to understand the things he freely gives to us in his word. And he does that through his spirit. You'll know by what they teach if it if it strays from the Bible, and if you have to reinterpret some things in the Bible based on an interpretation of, a, of a, an obscure text, an obscure scripture, then you have strayed from the Bible. So first you'll know by what they teach. 
Second, you'll know by how they live. He, he says here, he says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, and he's putting the, the false teachers in this, this category, both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. You'll know by the way they live. You'll know. Does that mean that they're going to be perfect? Nope. Nobody is but Jesus. And we will be someday. Uh, when he comes back, get us and take us home. There's not going to be sin in heaven. We'll be perfect. And I know that just blows our minds. But not here. So we're not saying that the teacher has to be perfect, but his life will be changing. God will be working in his heart. You'll know by the way they live. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I, I just pray that you would speak to us by your spirit. God, the same way that, that we can know false teachers is really it's a good evaluation of where we stand with you. First, we'll, we'll know who we are by what we teach. For many of us, that would be what we believe, or at least what we say we believe. God, it goes beyond that. It's just not what we say we believe, but is that exhibited in our life? Does it change the way we live? Because, Lord, I think that we really live according to the way we believe, and if, if our actions don't match what we say we believe, then, God, we don't really believe it. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that today you would just speak to us, and, and, and God, that that you would, you would just evaluate us, help us to evaluate our hearts, help us to evaluate the things that we say we believe in, and then evaluate our actions. And God, if there's anybody here, or I should probably say for those of us here, Lord, that, that there's a discrepancy between what we say or what we believe and the way we live, Lord, that you would just bring that to light. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would change us, that you would draw us to you, that you would use your word to, to make us more into the image of Jesus. God, we pray that you would do that in a way that honors you, in a way that brings people to faith in Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.